Come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing your grace. Bless us, be among us, and speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we continue our sermon series, Why Church? Here we're hoping to at least have a few good reasons as to why we show up every week or every second week or every third week, as it may. I know, I know when you all come. I know it. But also to have reasons to share, uh, reasons for our own sake and our own understanding to help us figure it out for ourselves. Two, and each week we're using the pattern of worship itself as our guide. Last week, the answer to the question, why church was based on the very thing we do. We gather, we come to church. We come because we're invited to come as we are to the God of love. And in doing so, we come to community, a community where we can be more than we are together. And this week, so this week is the second Movement. So every time you read your bulletin, you can sort of be reminded of these reasons. So after the prelude, after the greeting, after the call to worship, we literally stand together to sing the first couple of hymns. The second movement, therefore, is to stand. We stand. In worship, we stand to sing. We sing, but we don't just sing any old songs. We stand first to sing doxologies, which is a fancy Greek word for praise to God. This morning we sang, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. And then we sang, heaven is singing with joy to God, hallelujah. And as the children reminded us in children's time, hallelujah itself means praise the Lord. It's interchangeable. Alleluia. There you go. Amen. Every Sunday in worship, we sing to so songs to God, songs about God, about who God is, what God's up to in the world. Now, to the outsider, it can all sound kind of silly. I had a friend who I used to work with. He was a good friend. He was a great guy, but flat-out atheist, and I have yet to convince him. Yes. Still trying. <laughs> Good. <laughs> His girlfriend, though, she was real churchy and insisted on taking him every week. It was a church with flashing lights, a praise band, and all those other wonderful technological things. He told me that they stood and they sang for like 45 minutes at the beginning of the service. And it was all praise music. It was all the same, he said. God this, God that. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. I will honor your name. You are the only one for me, etc., etc., etc. He said the singing was fine, the music was good, but he couldn't figure out the point of all this singing to God. Because for a transcendent, infinite being, God sure sounded insecure, he said. <laughs> Why does the creator of the universe need us to say nice things to him constantly? 
If he were a person, we'd have a word for that. It'd be needy. Narcissistic, perhaps, maybe. Even egomaniacal. If God is perfect as they say, why would a perfect being need us to strum guitars, raise our hands, or belt out how great thou art week after week after week? To my friend, it made very little sense. It made little sense. It didn't make sense to him, but he kind of had a point, don't you think? It's actually a point that Christian theology's wrestled with since some of its earliest days. And now, you know, we're going to go into the venture, venturing into the theological nerd uh, territory here. So, but we're going to go there. We're going to go there. Come along with me. I, I, you know, I went to school for so long, and I, I just can't use it all the time, and I'm going to use it right now. Okay? Okay? There we go. In classical Christian theology, this is called the doctrine of divine impassibility. That God's fundamental nature cannot be changed by creatures or anything else. God is impassable. God can't be altered from the outside. So the moment that God needs an ego boost is the moment that we're dealing with something other than God. Because God doesn't need our preaching. Darn. <laughs> God doesn't need our prayers. God doesn't need our worship. God doesn't need our births, our deaths, our hands, our feet, our good deeds, our tax returns, our good works, or anything to change God's attitude towards us. And that includes our praise. Otherwise, we'd be talking about someone or something other than God. So on that point, my friend was, he was right about divine impassibility, you know. <laughs> On that point, he was right. God doesn't need our praise or anything else for that matter. But there's something else that's important about praise. He had a point, but he was also coming at praise from maybe the wrong direction. The problem is that we often get these things backwards. We don't praise God because God needs our praise. We praise God because we need to praise God. God doesn't need our praise. We need praise. We do. We're the ones who praise because we need it. Now, for today's scripture passage, we have the 100th Psalm, and the Psalms are kind of the songbook of the Bible. In English, we sort of lost this. But Jesus himself would have been raised on all of the Psalms and would know them off by heart like Top 40 Radio, you know, the kind that you hear at the grocery store speakers. Everybody knows it deep down inside. And just like any variety of music, there's a variety of themes. And the purpose of today's psalm is, well, you guessed it, praise. It's very short, but is the Bible's praise song par excellence? I guess that's why you put it at number 100, because it's 100% praise. Not only does it offer praise, it shows us the purpose of praise, the meaning, the importance of praise is baked right in. It piles right into praise from beginning until the end. It's a praise song par excellence. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, it begins. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. I mean, it just sets the tone for the beginning of worship. You begin worship, you stand and praise. And I mean, I especially love the beginning of this song just for the fact that it calls for joyful noise. I mean, that's my singing at its best, right? The noise may not be pleasant, but hey, it's joyful. And that's what the psalm says. That's all that's needed, it says. Everybody and everything, in fact, rocks, bees, trees, stars in their orbits, everything and everyone can praise. Everything can make a joyful noise, even if you belt everything out off key like me. It's good news for the tone deaf and the, the tone toned alike, I guess. But then the psalm moves into the meat of the meaning of this part. And we, first we have this call of joyful praise. And then verse 3, like there's so much packed into this next verse. Verse 3, we're given the reasons why we praise in the first place. And here's the first reason. No, it says. Know that the Lord is is God. I mean, that seems obvious, right? I mean, we usually think of the Lord and God as kind of synonyms, as interchangeable words, interchangeable, uh, different words, same meaning. But it says here, know that the Lord, the Lord is God. I mean, I guess I didn't put that in capitals, but whatever. Whenever you see the Lord in the Bible in all caps, which is actually what that's supposed to be, but I obviously did something wrong um, on the screen. But just imagine the Lord there says, is all caps. Whenever it's in all caps, it's standing for another Hebrew word, Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh, the name for the God of Israel, the God of the universe, the God, the name that God gave to Moses through the burning bush, the God who brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, the God who Christians believe raised Jesus from the dead. It, say, it says to stand and praise because Yahweh is God. This implies that this particular God occupies the center of the universe. But it also implies that there are many other rival gods jockeying for that same position. Here, praise is counseled as a way to avoid what's called idolatry, to steer clear of putting a false god in the place of the true god in our lives, which, according to the Bible, leads to all sorts of alienation and destruction, personal, social, global idolatry. The Lord, Yahweh, is God. And it's a helpful reminder really, because we're tempted to serve all sorts of gods all the time. The god of money is the most obvious. I mean, money, it's useful, no getting around it, we've, but we've made making it and pursuing it and generating it, buying stuff with it, the highest, most noble goal in human life. We put it at the center of our lives, around which we organize everything else, work, family, whole communities. In the Bible, they call that idolatry, a false 
God. And I mean, it's not the only one. There are plenty of ones. I mean, I, I had a long list. I'm like, which one should I talk about? Hmm. But there's other ones. We put our personal security above that of others. We put buying stuff. We put our careers, our spouses, our families, our brands and identities up on the altar, bowing to their importance above all else. And then there's our own happiness and the satisfaction of our own desires, good old sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The great reformer, John Calvin, said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. I mean, he wasn't the happiest, nicest guy, which you can maybe tell from that phrase. It may sound kind of harsh, but it's also kind of true. And this psalm and scripture tells us that all these things we look to for purpose, for enoughness, are false gods. Idols leading to nowhere but sadness, destruction, and spiritual death. Really, we know it's all true because we've all experienced it firsthand, one way or the other. No getting around it. So we need, we need to stand in praise because neither we, nor money, nor family, nor nation, nor anything else stands at the center of the universe. God doesn't need us to praise her. We need to praise God because we need to be perpetually dissuaded from idolatry. Know, sings the psalm, know that the Lord is God. And other gods ain't gods at all. It's something we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. I mean, it's a depressing diagnosis for the human condition, if there ever were one. The first line kind of knocked us and all of our stuff out of the center of the universe. It's disappointing, to say the least. All that packed into that one little verse. But in the same verse, though, that verse isn't even over. There's another helpful reminder as to why we praise. And this one's the good one, you know. The last one was the bad news. This one's the good news. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord is God. But then it says this. It is he, meaning God. It is he that made us. God made us, it says. God made us. I mean, we've become convinced in North America and Europe that everything that exists exists by chance. We're the latest event in a long chain of a series of accidents, which means that there's no inherent meaning or purpose to any of this, including our praise. But the psalmist and the Bible and the whole of thousands of years of experience and thinking and praying tells us otherwise. It tells us we come from somewhere. And not just somewhere, we come from someone. Our lives are the product of a living 
personal, relational source. We're created and we're creatures. And we're not only creatures of this living source, it says. It says we're creatures, and that means we are his. We are God's people, it says. We are God's people and the sheep of his pasture. This psalm is getting at the question of identity. Who are we, it asks. And the answer is that we belong to, we are the possession of the creator and the source of all things. We are not possessed by any of those false gods that promise us life yet never deliver. And what's it mean to belong to the source of all things? It means to be a sheep. To be a sheep. Of course, in popular culture, to be a sheep is to be a bad thing, you know? Look at all those sheep. A blind, dumb follower being led around uncritically. But in the Bible, it's an overwhelmingly positive image because sheep are fed, sheep are cared for, they're protected, sheep aren't solo either. They're a part of a flock of other sheep that they share life with. And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. A good shepherd doesn't leave the sheep, lead the sheep astray. So it's good to be a sheep because sheep have a shepherd and sheep with a good shepherd have purpose and they have direction. We have purpose and we have direction as part of this flock of the shepherd. Where idolatry, the pursuit of false gods, will inevitably bring us over the cliff of death, the good shepherd brings the sheep into green pastures. The good shepherd promises life everlasting, life in the full, which all the other false gods of this world cannot and will not give. It may not make sense to folks like my friend, but our praise has a purpose to it. Our praise has a purpose. I actually haven't brought up this last argument with him. Now that I've written this sermon, maybe I can go back and be like, we don't praise God because God needs it. <laughs> we, need, we need praise. We stand and praise, not because God needs it, but because we need it. We need to praise because we need to see our lives as part of a much larger, more beautiful, full story. We need to be reminded day after day after day, not only to give up the false gods of our world, but we need to be reminded that the source and center of all things is a creator of gracious, unconditional love and mercy. One who never gives up on us. One who accompanies, who guides, protects and feeds through the good times and the bads and promises to lead us away from death and into everlasting life forever. 
like a shepherd who cares for her sheep. Why church? Why not church? I'm going to say this every sermon because it sounds so good. Why not church? We need church because here we stand and we praise. We stand and we praise because we may not stand at the center of the universe or even the center of anybody else's life. But it says there is a center to the universe. And boy, is that easy to forget. We praise because there is a center. There's a source that flows, a heart that beats powerfully within all things, one who gives us meaning, a destiny, and a purpose, one that promises to lead us out of the self-destructive shadows of death and into the bright, shining future of unconditional love, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly kingdom. So, Let's just simply follow the psalmist's advice. Every week, every day, let's enter God's gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise. Give thanks to God and bless her name. Why, church? Because the Lord is good and his faithfulness, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. We might as well say to that, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.